Gracious Father in heaven, as we study those four simple words, Thy will be done, remind us of what it means not only to pray the words, but to live the words. Father, as we walk through this Lenten season and we journey closer to the foot of the cross, remind us that the cross invites us to respond to your love poured out for us in Jesus Christ. We pray guide our words, our actions, and our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. We have, over the past six weeks, looked at several different aspects of Thy Will Be Done. And just a reminder, as we enter into Holy Week, we continue with that theme. Except next week, if you show up on Wednesday, there's no service. Our services next week, of course, are for Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday. Again, both at noon and at 7. And if for some reason you can't be here, you can always find us online. So thanks to those of you who are sitting a little closer to the front for that purpose. As we look at our lesson tonight, we see Paul on a missionary journey traveling with his disciples. And I say disciples because these are Paul's entourage, if you will. They're all disciples of Christ, but, but they're helping Paul to spread the good news of the gospel. And, and in that lesson, we hear that they want to go into the, the province of Asia and to hit some of the, the towns and the villages there, and they are told not to go there. And so then they want to go to a place called Bithynia, and they're told not to go there. In fact, it says that, that Paul had a dream. Uh, about a man from Macedonia, and he was invited in that dream to go to Macedonia. And I love this little phrase in the scripture. It says, and so they took it that that's where God wanted them to go. Now, trust me, if you have some sort of dream that you know is from God and he's saying something, yes, that's what God wants you to do or where he wants you to go. And, and the thing is here, what we see with Paul is that he is actually submitting to the will of God. Thy will be done. And sometimes when you submit to the will of God, God can take you to places that you really hadn't planned on going or push you into directions where you really don't want to go. Remember Jonah? But Paul's being very deliberate here. We can learn something from that. We've said it, you've heard me say it, that it's always important for us to stop and ask, what is it that you would have me to do, Lord? Where would you have me to go? Now, it used to be years ago, when I first got out of the seminary, you're assigned your first call. And, and then after that, you get these calls, and some of them come with warning, uh, and some of them come without warning. Most days now, they come with warning. But I remember a couple of coming out of the blue, and I used to sit down and I used to look at him and say, okay, where can God best use my talents and abilities? And after about the third call, it dawned on me, that's the wrong approach. Because God can use my talents and abilities anywhere. So what should I be asking? 
Where do you want me to serve? Now, in my first parish, I received two different calls to California. Now, wait a minute. Let me back up. My first parish, I am in the boondocks in northern Minnesota where it gets really cold in the wintertime. And there's one winter there, and I kid you not, 52 degrees below zero without the wind. The tires on the car were square. <laughs> I had two calls to California. I had a call to Colorado. I had a call to Utah. I had calls, and none of them were where God wanted me to be. And then I got married. And right a, a year or so after I got married, my next call was to the Detroit, Michigan area. <laughs> California, Colorado, Detroit? Guess where I lived for seven years? You go where God calls. And it doesn't always make sense at the time. Paul wants to go to a certain place, and the Spirit says no. And so they follow God's will, and they go to Macedonia, and the text doesn't tell us this, but they wind up in a town called Philippi. And normally Paul's practice was when he went into a town, he would establish himself by going to the local synagogue. Well, Philippi was unique. It had no synagogue. Lord, you're, you're calling me to a place where I don't even know how to get started here. So what does he do? Thinking that there might be a place to pray by the river, he goes out to the river. And he finds a group of women there. And among that group of women is one of them named Lydia, and she's referred to as a God-fearing person. And Paul starts to talk to this group of women. Remember? Good Jews don't do what? Talk to women. Not unaccompanied, correct. But there's a group of women there, and you know, anytime there's a crowd gathered, it's a great opportunity for a preacher to do what? Preach. Just remember that. And so here they are, and he's preaching and teaching, and it says the Holy Spirit opens up her heart. And she comes to faith in Jesus Christ, and she and her entire household are baptized, and with gratitude in her heart, she invites Paul and his entourage to come and stay at her house. Now, She's a woman who's got a unique history, and we can make some educated guesses about her because, you see, it tells us that her name is Lydia, and she's from a place called Thyatira. Thyatira was famous for their manufacturing of purple cloths. They had the secret behind that method. And Lydia, that's her name, well, there was a town not too far from Thyatira that was called Lydia. And so anytime you ran across somebody whose name was after town, they probably picked up the name when they were freed from being a slave. 
She'd started out life probably as a slave and somewhere along the line gained her freedom and now she's a seller of purple cloth. A woman in business in that day and age, almost unheard of. Now, here's the fun part about, about the way that God works. Thyatira and Lydia are in the province of Asia where Paul had wanted to go. Think about that for a moment. I know a pastor who had a passion. In fact, we can still say he has a passion for, for mission and outreach. And he tried to start two or three different missions in different places, actually here in Albuquerque. And they never worked. And then he decided to start one down in the war zone. And everybody told him he was nuts. Today, we know God cares about you. And I asked Pastor Kluzig when he started that mission, what's the vision for this mission? He says, I want it to become a self-sustaining congregation. And I'm thinking to myself, that ain't going to happen. But I didn't tell him that. He comes back to me about a year later, he says, ah. really frustrated because he says, that's not going to work. I said, what? He said, a self-sustaining congregation. He says, we get people, they come, but they don't stay, they leave. It's a transient population. I said, really? Where are they coming from? All over the world. And what are you doing when they come? Telling them about Jesus? Great. We can't go to the world, so God's bringing the world to us. And these people carry the message of the gospel with them when they leave. I said to Mark, tell me the downside on that. That happens. Where people come from countries around the world to the United States, countries where it's even illegal to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they hear the gospel here, and they take it back, even at the threat of their own lives, to their homeland. I don't know what the conditions were in Asia at that time, but God directed Paul to engage with the gospel upon a group of women knowing that Lydia was going to be there. And the gospel takes its way back to Asia. Following God's will is not always easy. In fact, sometimes as we follow God's will, as I said, He takes us to places we don't want to go. But he calls us to be a people who are actively engaged in seeking his will and following it. Let me give you this example. 
When I was growing up, one of the fun things that we would do in the summertime especially is we'd find a river or a stream somewhere and a great big tractor inner tube. And we'd just put the inner tube into the water and we'd sit there and we'd drift. And sometimes we'd drift for miles, slowly meandering our way. Anybody ever done that? You know what I'm talking about. That's fun. Now, take that image and apply it to somewhere in Colorado where the Colorado River kind of gets its start. And you can do that. You can meander for a while on the river and then you come around the bend and all of a sudden... Class 5 Rapids. Now think about it this way. If this river is grace, we can live our Christian faith just kind of floating along on the river and kind of meandering. It's a passive approach to living our faith. But all of a sudden, when we turn that corner in life and we come upon the rapids, we are in danger now. We're in danger of being tossed out of that comfortable place. We're in danger of hitting our heads on the rock and even dying or drowning. Because we're not really engaged. But be on the same river. With a kayak and a paddle. We'll call that paddle the Holy Spirit. And there are times in our lives when we can kind of drift and mosey along. But when we come around that corner now and see the rapids, we have the Holy Spirit to hang on to and we can begin to paddle and to navigate those rapids actively involved where God is taking us. Now, I'm not a huge fan of kayaks. Some of you might be. But I love to go river rafting. And I've been on some pretty big rapids river rafting. And I'll tell you what, it, when, the, when, the, when the guide tells you to paddle, you don't sit there passively or he will pick you up and throw you out of the boat. You start paddling. And it's an exhilarating experience. When we're actively engaged in in seeking God's will and responding to His call for our lives, it can be an exhilarating experience. It's an exhilarating thing to be sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and to watch the lights go on in someone's eyes. I can imagine how Paul felt when he's preaching about Jesus and sharing the stories and all of a sudden Lydia's eyes snap wide open. Because the Holy Spirit grabbed her heart and it clicked. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to get into the water and paddle. 
Don't be afraid to actively engage in God's will. Don't be afraid. Don't fall into what I call the Jonah syndrome and try to run away. It doesn't work. And thank God that our Savior Jesus Christ in that Garden of Gethsemane when He was faced with crucifixion when He said, take this cup from me. That He didn't just say, you know what? I'm not doing this. People say, well, pastor, He couldn't do that. Really? We confess that He's true God and true man. He knows what's coming. That's why He's sweating drops of blood when He's praying. Father, take this cup from me. You know, I don't think that was some type of little, gentle, quiet, mousy prayer. I think He was... Father, take this cup from me. I don't want to do this. How many of our times in our lives do we do we hear the call of God? And we flat out say, "No." I'm going to live it on my terms and my way. We've probably all done it. Where does that get you? Nowhere got Jonah. But Jesus didn't do that. Not my will, but thine be done. Those are the words that we need to hang on to when we get into the kayak, when we step into the river, when we walk a path of faith that God lays out before us. Not my will, but thy will. Thy will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all of our human understanding, keep your hearts and minds in the true faith of God in Christ Jesus and to life everlasting. Amen.